morning. It's great to see everybody. Like Bevan said, my name's Elliot. I'm the Connection Pastor here, and we are continuing this series, Christmas Classics. Now, um, when Allie and I got married several years ago, uh, we decided um, that as a family, we wanted to start talking about what the different traditions we would want to have as, as we raised our kids. And we particularly talked about Christmas. What would be the Christmas traditions that we would want to have? And so one of them that we came up with is every Christmas Eve, Whenever it is possible, we um, go to my favorite 24-hour diner, and we dress in Christmas pajamas. And so here's a picture from a few years ago when we went there and did this. And I think this Christmas tradition is a good example of kind of the give and take of marriage because late-night greasy diner food, that was my idea of a good time. Um, the Christmas pajamas were not my idea, <laughs> but that's what we do. Now, when it comes to Christmas traditions, some of them are planned. Some we sit down and we talk about and we agree on, this is what we want to do. Other ones just kind of happen out of routine. I mean, you, you do the same thing for five years in a row, and then it just it becomes something that you do. And when it comes to watching Christmas movies, I, I think this is really kind of how it is. I mean, we just kind of grew up, and the TV was on, and you know, at Christmas time, they're playing all the reruns, or when we go to somebody's house, maybe it's on. So it's just kind of become a part of the season of when we go through the Christmas season, we watch a lot of these Christmas films. And so in this series, we're taking a look at a few of them, a few of these popular Christmas classics, and asking the question, okay, what are, what are some of the themes that are presented to us, and what does God have to say about those? What, what can we learn? So we started with The Grinch, and then last week we looked at a Christmas story, and today we are going to look at the movie Home Alone, the 1990 classic Home Alone. So let's uh, roll the trailer and refresh our memory about this story. When the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation... Did we miss the flight? No, you just made it. Yeah! They forgot one small thing. Have yourself... I've had a terrible feeling. Did you lock up? Yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm-hmm. What else could we be forgetting? Our troubles will be ours. Kevin! Ah! Home Alone. Police in the northern suburbs are on the lookout for a pair of burglars who are calling themselves the Wet Bandits. We know that you're in there. It's Santa Claus and it's Elf. Get off my property. This is my house. I have to defend it. Where's your mother? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Can't tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. He's a kid. I mean, what can a kid do to us? Kids are stupid. I know I was. You still are, Marv. This is it. Ow! I don't care if I have to get out on your runway and hitchhike. I am going to get home to my son. Take your shoes off. Why do you dress like a chicken? Gus Polinski, Polka King of the Midwest. If you have to get to Chicago, we'll gladly drive you. Hey, guys. Yesterday, he was just a kid. But tonight, he's a home security system. You guys give up? Oh, yeah, thirsty for more. From John Hughes. You know, I got a feeling this is going to be your best Christmas ever. A family comedy without the family. Home alone. Are you here all alone? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. 
directed by Chris Columbus, coming November 16th. All right, so do you guys remember the catalyst for him being left alone at home? Do you remember what happened right before he was forgotten by his family? Remember there was a big fight? They're all getting ready to get on the plane and travel to Europe for Christmas, and that night everybody's kind of being mean and catty with one another, and they're being short, and then him and his brother get into this conflict, and it causes this huge mess, and he's blamed for the whole thing, and so his parents say, upstairs, go to the third floor, kind of this makeshift attic, and they send him up the stairs, and he's marching up there, and he's arguing with his mom, and then he says, I wish I had a new family. I don't want to be part of this family anymore. I want a new family. So then she kind of, you know, argues with him about that, and then he slams the door and goes upstairs. And then that night, there's this storm, and the power goes out, and as you saw in the trailer, they wake up, and they're, they're late for the airport, and so they rush off, and they forget him. And then he wakes up, and it's like his wish came true, and he's all alone. There's no family, nobody to argue with or to make fun of him or to pick on him. And in this movie, you know, we might not be able to relate to being left behind by our families, and we might not be able to relate to you know, fighting off robbers as they try to break into the house, but we can all relate to family conflict. I mean, this is just a reality of life. The name-calling, the arguments, the passive-aggressive behavior, the gossiping, the sibling rivalries, the disappointments, the let-down expectations. I mean, you know, if you are a part of a family, which we all are, you know that this is just what happens, family conflict. We've experienced it in the past. Some of you this morning right now, you might be in the middle of it. And I can tell you in the future, I know some, I just saw people look at each other. Don't look at each other, okay? Like, don't make it that obvious. Don't, it, don't make it worse. In the future, you're going to have it. You might have it because of the look that you just gave the person sitting next to you. It's part of life. And when we encounter relational conflict, there are multiple paths that we can choose in response. And there's these paths that we go down in response to this conflict. And each one of these paths leads to a very different destination. The first path that we're going to look at is the escape path. This is probably the most popular path that we go down, the path of escaping the conflict. It's avoiding the problem, ignore the conflict, just pretend like it doesn't exist. When we take this path, the escape path, the focus is really on me, the individual. And the question I'm asking myself is, okay, what can I do to make this as painless and as convenient as possible? How can I get this person off my back or get out of this situation? And so the solution we come up with is I just need to escape it. That's the fastest way to get rid of this is to just avoid it, to act like it doesn't happen, to ignore it. And one of the easiest ways that we escape is we escape physically. We just get up and leave. And let's face it, it's, it's a lot easier to just go surfing or to go shopping than it is to work through the conflict. So when we experience conflict, maybe we escape by just getting up and leaving and hoping that when we return, the conflict just kind of magically disappeared and we don't have to talk about it anymore. Another way that we escape is we escape through technology. You know, these little devices that we carry in our pockets that give us the world at our fingertips. You know, if you and I get into a dispute, I'm just going to act like you don't exist anymore and look at my phone. So we use technology to escape and to just kind of block out the world going on around us and just kind of sink into our own little technology-fueled world. There are all different ways that we escape, but it's a very popular option. If you, if you choose this as your path in response to conflict, what you'll learn is this path leads to fake and shallow relationships. That's where this path is headed. It's headed for fake and shallow relationships. 
It's not automatic. You don't escape one time and then you escape one situation and suddenly all your relationships are like this. It, it takes time to experience this. And actually what you might encounter is there might be times where you escape and it actually seems like it worked out in your favor. You, know, you might avoid the conflict in the moment and so now you're happier because you don't have to deal with that conflict. Actually in the movie, Kevin, the little kid, he, he wants to escape. He wants a new family. He says, he says, I want my family to disappear. And then he gets up the next morning, and it looks like his wish came true. And man, he, he has a great time. He watches some movies that were probably a little too violent, and his parents wouldn't let him watch. And he eats ice cream for breakfast, and he's just having a ton of fun because the conflict's gone. You, so you take this escape route, and actually there are some times where it's like, oh, man, my, my life's happier. My life's better. But the reality is, is you can escape in the moment but you can't escape the hurt and the pain no matter how hard you try. You will always take those on the journey with you. And as you walk this path and this becomes well-traveled and this becomes a habit that just again and again you just choose to escape, what you're going to find is the scenery of your relationships is going to change. They're going to become increasingly shallow and more and more fake. One of the reasons that you and I would choose this escape path is because we, we don't see the opportunity that's presented to us when we encounter conflict. Usually, whenever we encounter conflict, our response is, oh, man, not again. I don't want to deal with this. I had plans for my day, and my plan was not to go through this situation. Or, I didn't sign up for this. I don't want to go through this. Those are often our responses, but we don't, we don't see the opportunity. And the opportunity is, when you choose to work through the challenges of a conflict, when that happens, there's an opportunity for two people to come together and for trust to be strengthened and for the relationship actually to go deeper. I mean, this is what happens in a marriage all the time. I mean, for me and Allie, our marriage is not a conflict-free zone. Actually, out of all the relationships that I have, you know, I, I experience more conflict in that relationship than in any other. And it's not because we're, you know, two horrible people that are really difficult. It's just you, you take two individuals, any two individuals, put them in close proximity for an extended period of time, and what are you going to get? You're going to get conflict. But in my relationship with my wife, that's also the most meaningful relationship that I have. And there's more trust in that relationship than in any other relationship. Not because it's conflict-free, but because we've tried to make it a habit of when conflict comes up, instead of just escaping or avoiding it, we're going to work through it. But so often, we don't see the opportunity in the conflict. We just see the conflict, and we say, I don't want to experience this. I want to get out of here. And so then, as fast as we can, down the path of escape. Another path is the attack path, the path of attacking other people. We blame the other person. This is their issue. They caused this. They're the one that needs to change in this situation. If you choose this as your path in response to conflict, then you'll use any and all forms of pressure on the other person to try to eliminate their behavior or their opposition to you. So maybe what you'll do, maybe in a family setting, what you'll do is you'll, you'll start to tell other people about what this person has done. You'll tell them about their behavior and how out of line they were and unacceptable that it would do that or they would treat you this way. And you try to kind of form this group of others in the family to gang up on this individual and, and put pressure on them so that they'll change. Or maybe, maybe, maybe it's more like subtle forms of manipulation. Maybe there's just little things that we start to do. Maybe, maybe we just get really passive aggressive with them. We don't really ad address the issue. We're not willing to bring that up and we won't even admit that that's an issue. We'll say, oh no, it's not an issue. But then we'll kind of intentionally sabotage things, intentionally go against what they want to do. You know, or you know, maybe one of our favorite ways of being passive-aggressive, we'll just post really cryptic 
statements on social media. No, that's not what I meant. Oh, come on, we all know what you meant. Or there's the classic of just, you know, getting really angry and yelling and raising our voices and using a show of force to try to get the other person to conform to what we want them to do. You know, in the movie, there's a character named Old Man Marley, and he lives next to the McAllister family, and all the kids, they make up these stories about him, and he's this, they, they paint him to be this real scary guy, and they all avoid him. And then one night, Kevin, he's alone, and he's, he's walking by this church, and he hears the choir singing inside, so he goes inside, and he sits down, and he's listening to the choir, and Old Man Marley's there. So old man Marley gets up and walks across and comes and sits next to him and they start talking. And Marley tells him this story that there was a time, a long time ago, when him and his son got in a big fight in the front yard. And they started yelling at each other. They took the attack approach. He says that it, it ruined their relationship. They don't have a relationship anymore because they did that. And actually it was so bad that he's not allowed to have a relationship with his granddaughter. That's why he shows up to the choir practice because he can't go to the actual play because if he shows up then his kids are going to be there and it's going to be this big deal so he's just got to avoid the whole situation because he's taken this attack path and it's led to a broken relationship that's what the attack path leads to it leads to broken relationships you know again similar to escaping you don't experience this right away it's not like you attack one time you get angry you start yelling and then suddenly it's over that's not what we experience actually in the in the short term, it actually might seem like it's working out in your favor. You know, you might choose this approach, and for whatever reason, the other person might start to conform. But over time, people can only put up with this so long. So either, either they're going to take the escape route and just, ah, I don't want to deal with this anymore. They're just going to up and leave. Or they're going to turn, and they're going to fight back. But either way, if you walk this path, if you make this a habit, and just routinely, you, you face conflict, and you keep going down this path, it's going to lead to broken relationships. But thankfully, there's a third path that we can choose. We're not limited to these two options. And the third path is to reconcile. To reconcile means to agree on what happened and then do what's necessary to clear it up. Now, out of the three paths that we can choose, this is the most foreign to us. This is the least traveled path. Because it's foreign to us, and we don't have a lot of experience down this path, and when we think about this and what it might require, it's an intimidating path. And honestly, it's, it's, a, it's a tough path. The others in the moment are way easier. This one requires some hard steps, and so a lot of times we, we see this path, and I'm not going to take that path. And we all have our, our path preference in response to conflict. We either reper, we prefer to escape in response to conflict, or we prefer to attack. And a lot of those two preferences that we have, those come from what we've witnessed and what we've experienced in our lives. So if you grew up in a family where everything's just kind of swept under the rug and we just kind of ignore the conflict and we don't address it, well, then, you know, there's a high likelihood that when it comes to you experiencing conflict, what are you going to do? You're just going to run down the path of escape. You're going to avoid it. Or if you grew up in a family where everybody gets angry and starts yelling and it's a family full of people attacking one another, really similar to Kevin's family, again, those are really powerful experiences that shape you. And it's important for you and I to recognize, okay, I, I lean towards the escape side or I lean towards the attack side. And this is some of the places in life where I've really learned how to go down that path. It's important for us to realize that, not so we can get all this kind of attitude of like, well, I'm helpless. You know, I just, my parents did the escape thing, and so I do the escape thing, so I'm just an escape artist. I mean, that's just what I do. 
not so we can be helpless, but so we can realize, okay, this is my path, but I can actually choose a new path. There's another path. There's this path of choosing to reconcile. Jesus says this about this path in Matthew chapter 5. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. What he's saying is he's saying at the point of conflict, if you choose this path of reconciliation, if you choose to be a peacemaker, if you choose to go and work to clear up the relationship the way that God instructs, he's saying you'll be called a child of God. Now, why would he say that? The reason he says you'll be called a child of God is because God is a peacemaker. God is the first one who walked the path of reconciliation. Actually, that's what we're celebrating here at Christmas time. That's what we're reminding ourselves of as we reflect on the reason that we celebrate this holiday. You know, at the, at the point of your and my sin and rebellion, at the point of our sin and rebellion, God could have taken the escape path. He could have escaped and just said, well, they screwed it all up. I don't want to deal with it. I'm just going to walk away. You know, good luck figuring that on your own. He could have done that. Or he could have taken the attack path, and he could have said, well, you guys screwed it up. I'm going to destroy you. He could have done either one of those, but he didn't. What did he choose to do? Jesus came. God the Son came, and he came and took on a body, and then he did what was necessary. Why? So you and I could be reconciled to God. See, God is a, he's a, he's a peacemaker. He's the first one to travel this path. So when you and I travel the path, there's a family resemblance. That's why Jesus says they'll be called children of God. You know, it's amazing to me, I've, you know, I've got three little kids. It's amazing to me how my kids pick up on my habits and my tendencies and different things that I say. And my son, Cohen, he started repeating some stuff that I say. And some of it's a little bit like, oh, I should probably stop saying that. But then over there, it's kind of funny. And some of it, you don't even realize how often you use certain words. So I didn't realize how much I used the word nice. Like Cohen will jump off the couch and I'll be like, oh, nice. You know, or he'll do something on his scooter and I'll be like, oh, nice, good job. So now what Cohen does, my son, my little two-year-old, is, you know, you'll be sitting there in the morning drinking your coffee and he'll walk up to you and be like, oh, hey, daddy, what you doing? Drink your coffee? Yeah. Oh, nice. Oh, hey, mommy, what you doing? Combing your hair? Yeah. Oh, nice. Oh, hey, sissy, what you doing? And he just walks around like, oh, nice. Oh, nice. Everything's like, oh, nice. And we heard, he started doing this, and my wife and I looked at each other, and we're like, where did he get that, you know? And then we realized he got it from me. He learned it from me. You can see he's my son because he's, he's doing what I do. You know, it's the same way when you walk this path of choosing to reconcile. It's, it's like people could point at it and say, like, oh, I know where they learned that. I see the family resemblance. That's what God their father did. He's the first one to walk the path. And now they're walking the path too. Jesus gave a really helpful example so we can see just how important it is to God that we walk this path. He says this in Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24. He says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now, this is a really interesting illustration that Jesus gives to paint the importance of this path. Because he's talking to people of the Jewish faith. Going to the temple in Jerusalem and offering your gift at the altar, that was a big deal. That was, that was, a, that was a public act of worship to show your devotion to God. And the audience that Jesus is speaking to, a lot of them didn't live in Jerusalem. So he, he tells this to them. And what this meant is if they were going to do this, they would have to, some of them maybe even travel for days. They would have to get people to cover their land and cover their work and watch their property and then maybe travel for days to get to Jerusalem. And then they arrive at Jerusalem. 
And there's all these other people that are gathered there. They're not the only ones. So it's not just like a quick thing. You show up, you offer your offering at the altar and then leave. You show up and you're greeted by long lines and all kinds of waiting. And we all know what it's like to wait. We know that frustration. I mean, it's, it's Christmas time, you know, so you know you go to the post office at this time of year, and what do you encounter? Long lines. And who likes standing in those lines? Nobody does. Obviously, the temple isn't the post office, but you, you can kind of understand the frustration of waiting in line. And you get there, and you pull the number, and it says 274. And then you, you turn to the person next to you, and you're like, hey, what was the last number called? 133. 140 people in front of me? This is insane. You're sitting there, and you're like, you know, maybe I should just come back later. And you're like, well, if I come back later, it'll be worse. And, you know, I already scheduled this in my day, so I'm just going to wait. And then minutes become hours, and you're standing there, and it's like time is, like, floating away in front of you. And you're just, you're deteriorating, and the people next to you are growing (laughs) older. And you're just like, this is the worst. I mean, it's terrible to stand in those lines. And then you hear them call, now, now serving 271. You're like, oh, I'm close. I'm close, finally, after all this. And then you hear them, the next number, now serving 272. And you kind of look around. Nobody steps forward. Now serving 272. They say it again. What do you say? You say, they missed their chance. Come on. Come on. <laughs> let's go. And then now serving 273. And you just hope that whoever steps up there, it's not like an international order. Something quick. And they can just get up there. You know, and then finally, now serving 274. What do you do? Before it's out of their mouth, you're up at the counter. You're ready. You've been waiting. It's your turn. You're full of excitement. There's this relief. I don't have to wait in this line anymore. I'm finally here. I'm offering my gift at the altar. Then what does Jesus say to do? He says, if you're there and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, just ignore it. Act like it didn't happen. It's not that big a deal. No, what does he say to do? He says, leave your gift. You traveled days to get there. You've waited for hours in this line. You've you've been patient. This is your chance. And he says, leave your gift. First go and be reconciled to them. I mean, let's just call it what it is. To us, this is extreme. This is like, is he serious? This is a crazy example. And what Jesus is creating is this contrast between worshiping God this really important thing, and going and clearing up relationships. And what does he say is most important? It's obvious, clearing up relationships. He said, this is incredibly close to the heart of God. And the reason is, is because he's a peacemaker. He's the first one that walked the path. And now he's saying, hey, you guys are my children. This is so important to me that you guys walk this path and you guys take the time to reconcile. And the reason he tells us to do this is because this is the path that leads to peace. You choose this path, you choose to reconcile, this is the path that leads to peace. It's the path God chose. He came to reconcile the relationship with us, which allowed us to have peace with him. And now he tells us, his children, he says, okay, now I want you to be the one to go and reconcile with others so that you can have peace with them. I mean, when you choose to reconcile, this is what it can bring. It brings peace in the relationship. You can relax. You can, you can work side by side with another person. You can be united with them to accomplish something and actually experience joy in the process. You know, there can be trust between the two of you instead of this constant suspicion and always looking over your shoulder, afraid of my, what might happen. One of the things I've learned for me when I do this and I clear up relationships is one of the things that it gives me is it, it, I get my mind back. 
Because you know what it's like in conflict. When you're in conflict, the emotions of the conflict, it kind of clouds everything. It's kind of like this lens that we put on, and we see the other person, and we see everything going on around us kind of through this fog of, of the conflict. But when you go and you clear that up, peace, peace gives you the ability to think clearly. So Jesus is saying, hey, go, go pursue peace. You know, similar to the paths of escape and attack, the result of peace is not always immediate. I mean, it's not like you just do this one time and suddenly, you know, everything, you know, the sky is lifted and it's clear and everything's perfect. No, this, this takes repeated action. You continue down this path. But as you choose to walk this path again and again and again, what you'll realize is you're going to start to experience peace in more and more of your relationships. It's the path that God first walked, and now it's the path that he tells us as his children he wants us to walk it too. So what would it look like? What would it look like for you and me to actually make movement down this path and then continue forward? What would be the steps that we would repeatedly take? Well, let's look at a few of them. The first step we would take is to take the initiative. If you're going to walk this path, if you're going to choose the path of being reconciled, the first step is to take initiative. Usually when it comes to conflict, what we do in response to conflict is we play a few games. We play, maybe we play the who started it game. You know what this game is. Our kids play these games. I mean, you, you know, walk into the room and they're both screaming at each other and what's the first thing? She started it. You know, as adults, we do this too. It doesn't really matter what we did as long as somebody else started it. We don't need to clear up the relationship because this is their problem. They started I wouldn't have re- reacted the way I reacted if they wouldn't have started it. I wouldn't have said something rude to her if she wouldn't have said something mean to me. I mean, we, even as adults, we play this. I, I don't need to reconcile because I didn't start it. You know, if, we don't, if we're not playing that game, we're probably playing the percentage game. The percentage game goes something like this. It says, they're 56% in the wrong. I'm 44% in the wrong. Yeah, I did something I shouldn't have done, but what they did was worse than what I did. And because it was worse, I don't need to do anything. I, I know I started it, but their response was not right. They crossed the line with how they responded to my wrong, and so now I'm justified just sitting here and waiting for them to clear it up. I know there's a problem, but they're more in the wrong, so I'm not going to do anything. These are the games that we play, and what does Jesus say again in that passage in Matthew 5? He says, if you're standing there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Go and be reconciled. You know, he's intentionally vague about who started it or who's more at fault. He doesn't even get into that. He just says, if you're aware of it, well, then take action. Take the initiative. If you know there's a problem in the relationship, don't just sit there and say, well, I'm, I'm going to wait for them to take the first step. He says, no, you're my child. I want you to take the first step. That's what I did. So take initiative. If you walk this path again and again, you're going to have to take initiative. Next thing you do is you go to them. You go to the person you have conflict with. Another time Jesus taught on this, Jesus taught on this all the time. You read through his teachings and the, all through the Bible and you continue to encounter this idea of the importance of reconciling. Matthew 18, verse 15, this is what Jesus says. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. You know, instead of going to the person we have conflict with, what do we do? We go and tell all these other people that really have no business knowing what happened. And then we take this conflict that might actually not be that big a deal, and we escalate things by gossiping. And we just continue to fuel this fire. And we spend all this time and energy and this wasted breath telling people that have no business knowing. 
So Jesus says, hey, if your conflict's against this person, just go to them. Don't go to all these other people. They don't need to know about it. Go to them. If you can go face-to-face, go face-to-face. Hey, if, if you just need to pick up the phone and make a phone call, make a phone call. If an email will do, you know, send an email. Face-to-face is generally best. And when it comes to, to going to the other person, realize that sometimes it's helpful to have a little bit of time. So sometimes it's helpful to say, to kind of give a warning. Hey, I, I would like to talk to you about what happened. When would be a good time that we could talk about that? And my wife and I, we've, we've actually found this incredibly helpful in our marriage because uh, kind of repeatedly, either one of us isn't ready to talk about it or maybe, you know, there's just something going on and we're chasing kids and it's just not the right time to sit down and have a conversation about what happened. So we'll say, okay, tonight after the kids go to bed, can we talk about what happened? You know, and let's face it, there's some conflict where it's not just a, a quick, like, three or four minute conversation. You need more time to sit down and work through, okay, what really happened? Okay, what, what caused this? What are the changes that we need to make going forward? You know, what are the, what are the specific things that we need to work on? You know, sometimes it takes more time. So there have been some conflicts where my wife and I have said, okay, let's pull out our phones, pull out our shared calendar. Doesn't look like we have anything on Tuesday night. Doesn't it sound fun to talk about conflict on Tuesday night? And this might sound crazy, but really, if you want peace, if you want unity, if you want the trust to get stronger and the relationship to go deeper, instead of experiencing fake and shallow relationships and broken relationships, this might sound extreme, but you know, these are, these are the movements of somebody who wants, they want peace. They want to walk this path of being reconciled. They'll actually schedule time in their calendar to sort through these issues because they know how important it is. You know, there are times when it comes to going to the other person when it either, it either isn't wise or it isn't safe. There are, there are times where that can happen. So maybe you need, maybe you need a mediator. Maybe you need a, a neutral party involved. When it comes to the majority of the personal conflict that we have, the majority of that stuff, we just need to take initiative and then go direct to the other person that we have conflict with. Just go to them. Take the initiative. The third step that you see somebody who walks this path repeatedly take is to clear up the relationship. You've taken the initiative. You've gone to them. Now you do what it takes to clear it up. So if, if there was a wrong, if there was... You know, if there was a sin, if I, if I wronged you in some way, if I sinned against you, then I need to ask for forgiveness. You know, maybe there's something that I need to give you forgiveness for. But you go to them and you figure out, okay, what happened? We agree on what happened. And then, okay, now how can we clear this up? What's it going to take? You know, when I was growing up, my dad would tell me and my siblings that the seven hardest words you'll ever say are, I was wrong, will you forgive me? And as I've done this again and again, I've realized, wow, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, it's really humbling to go to somebody else and say, you know, what I did, that was wrong. I actually sinned against you. I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? That's really humbling. It's easy to just kind of ignore it or blame them or say, sorry about the conflict. Never get specific. It's really hard to get specific and own up to your part of it. It can be embarrassing. I mean, have you ever apologized, asked a two-year-old for forgiveness? That's embarrassing. But hey, if, some, if you're going to walk this path, this is what it's going to take. Owning up to what you've done and asking for forgiveness. I mean, there's, in certain situations, restitution's needed. I mean, was something broken? Was something stolen? Does money need to be exchanged? Does, does something need to be restored or paid for? Is that what needs to happen to clear it up? Do what's necessary to clear it up. 
It could be the conflict that you have with this other person that's tearing this relationship apart. It could be that this conflict is just because of a misunderstanding. So maybe when you go to them and you say, hey, could we talk about what happened? Maybe you'll learn that you, you just misunderstood each other. I mean, I, I'll be straight up with you. There have been multiple times when I've gone to another person and said, hey, could we talk about what happened? I'm not attacking them. I'm just trying to figure out, you know, try to come to the same page. Because to me, this is a relationship-breaking issue. I mean, I've taken offense at what they've said or done, and I'm, I'm mad about it. But then I go to them, and I just say, hey, can we talk about what happened? I realize this was just a big misunderstanding. They never intended what I experienced. They had no idea. When I sit there and talk to them about it, I realize, oh, man, I took something that was really small and taken out of context, and I turned it into something that almost ruined our relationship. And I've done that enough times that it's made me wonder, I wonder how many relationships have ended over a misunderstanding. But if you don't take initiative, and if you don't go to them, you're never going to know. It might just be a big misunderstanding. So for you this morning, what's your preferred path? How do you handle conflict? Do you like the path of escape? Is that your preference? You just ignore the problem? Act like nothing happens, just hope that it goes away on its own. Let me ask you, if you're taking the path of escape, have you grown tired of the fake and shallow relationships? Maybe, maybe you like the path of attacking. Maybe that's your preference. Just get angry and start yelling or start manipulating or just get really passive-aggressive with the other person. Well, again, like, have there been enough broken relationships that you're willing to try something new? You know, in the movies... You know, Home Alone's just like almost every other movie. There's this happy ending. It's an hour and a half of, of entertainment and drama and family conflict, and then suddenly, you know, the writers and directors work it out to where everybody's smiling and it's happy and it's peaceful and it, oh, it feels so good. But that's not reality. <coughs> Reconciliation doesn't just happen by accident. You don't just go, well, we're just going to keep doing the same old thing we've always done, keep living in this conflict, and then... Hopefully, it'll just work itself out. That, we, we all know that that's not reality. That's not how it works. You don't just give it more time and it just sorts itself out. No, reconciliation is a, is a specific path that God lays out for us, and it takes specific, thoughtful, intentional steps repeatedly taken down the path. Peace doesn't just happen. It's something that you and I get to choose. Oh, we're going to walk this path, and we're going to walk it again and again and again. It's a path it requires a lot of effort. It's a path that requires a lot of thought and a lot of humility, and it's a path that it requires a lot of patience too. This stuff doesn't just happen overnight. But let me encourage you, walk this path. Don't just escape and don't just attack, but choose, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk the same path that God walked. He chose to be reconciled to me and give me peace, and so when it comes to the conflict I experience, I'm gonna choose the same thing. I'm going to choose to reconcile, and I'm going to walk the path that leads to peace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that you're the one who came up with the plan to begin with to reconcile us. You didn't leave us on our own. You didn't destroy us, but you're the one who came up with the plan. And then, Jesus, I thank you for the fact that you're the one who came, and you did what was necessary for us to be reconciled. And now, Holy Spirit, I thank you for the fact that you're the one that prompts us and guides us and reminds us of the importance of this. So we come before you and we ask that we would actually live this out. That as your children, 
we would not just run to those familiar paths of escaping or attack, but that we would decide, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk the path that my father walked, and I'm going to follow his example, and I'm going to pursue peace in this relationship. So, Father, we pray that we would walk that, and you would help us, and we pray that that would be the outcome, that we would experience peace. In Jesus' name, amen.